Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Today I'm going to look at the way in which um, Cold War American liberal intellectuals thought about the world. And it, it's kind of easy to, to talk about McCarthyism, about how the, the, the American kind of nativist xenophobic right within the Republican Party thought about things. We You know, that, that's well documented. What's kind of slightly harder to pinpoint is this actually kind of prevailing ideology for much of the Cold War uh, uh, from really the, the, the Truman years through to Kennedy uh, which and you really see it sort of starting to kind of peter out under Nixon of the uh, the Cold War liberal in, intellectual. Now uh, I, I suppose one of the difficulties with exploring this is that liberal is a term that has now become so mangled again by the kind of uh, by sort of right wing largely american discourse it sort of it kind of appears in britain from time to time uh, but it hasn't got that deeper roots uh, as it, as it does in the us this idea that liberal means um anything from the sort of uh, progressive center left all the way through to kind of Marxist-Leninism. I mean, obviously, if, if you listen to kind of, and I hope none of you do, but if you listen to things like um, kind of the, the, the kind of the right discourse on Fox News, they always kind of talk about, they talk about the kind of liberalism as, it, as if it's some sort of kind of criminal offence. Well, there, there's a kind of a, a different way to conceive of liberalism. Now, um, if we're looking at um, David Coates' brilliant book, The Great Fear, which is a, a fantastic history, not just of um, the kind of uh, McCarthyite era, but also of uh, the of, of America during the uh, early Cold War. David Coates uh, writes uh, in his section titled The Ideology of Cold War Liberal Intellectuals. He writes, uh, he writes about the cultural critic Lionel Trilling. And he says, writing in, in 1946, Lionel Trilling, 
offered a plausible description of the liberalism that had prevailed, particularly amongst the educated classes during the New Deal era. A ready, if mild, suspiciousness of the profit motive, a belief in progress, science, social legislation, planning and international cooperation, perhaps especially where Russia is in the question. So there was a, a, a tendency within the, the kind of the, uh, the liberalism of, of the 1930s, really kind of Rooseveltian liberalism, if you will, um, to look at Russia with a, an open mind at the very least. But the, the way in which um, Lionel Trilling describes liberalism there is, is a kind of uh, managerialism, an idea that perhaps market forces aren't necessarily the way to run things. However, um, they are also, you know, quite quite useful if harnessed correctly. Um, and that science and technology and progress and a certain kind of scientific rationalism would really reshape society when we get away from all these sorts of irrational creeds like uh, a faith in the free market. Um, however, liberalism under the conditions of the Cold War shifts decisively to the right. And David Cope writes, The onset of the Cold War shattered this liberal consensus. The pro-Truman Americans for Democratic Action was founded in January 1947, within a week of the rival left-wing Progressive Citizens of America. A schism, a polarisation foreshadowing the Truman-Wallace rivalry of 1948. And just as the president won that duel by an overwhelming margin, referring to um, Truman's um, his feud with George Wallace, who was on the left of the Democrat Party, so too, Cold War liberalism emerged head and shoulders above its competitors to the left and to the right as the dominant ideology within government the press and the world of learning. The linchpin of this creed was hostility towards the Soviet Union and American communism. Concomitantly, that mild suspiciousness of the profit motive became very much milder. The Cold War liberals embraced the Pax Americana. The, the kind of... The, the Democrat Party that existed throughout the Cold War era and into even the, the kind of the, the post-Cold War era um, of the, the 1990s, this is the, the kind of the Clintonite party, had moved so progressively, state, uh, progressively as in stage by stage, to the, the right, it had embraced essentially all the core assumptions except some cultural ones of the Republicans, and this perhaps reflected the shifting of the political landscape in America through the Cold War uh, overall to the right, or perhaps it actually stimulated uh, that that shift. But you have um, the, 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 the two founding principles of the Cold War Democrats were um, a, a robust and warlike um, a desire and um, capacity to fight um, cold, hot wars in uh, throughout the world, 
partly out of the fear of being um, la- labelled weak, unpatriotic, willing to give in to communism, all these McCarthyite uh, accusations uh, that uh, the Democrats during the Second World War had been far too quick to cosy up to Stalin um, and it had been essentially a democratic weakness that had lost China. Um, this was certainly a shadow that um, was cast over um, Kennedy and Johnson, neither of whom wanted to be seen to have to back down over Cuba in Kennedy's case and Vietnam in, in, in Johnson's, uh, and that neither wanted to be uh, seen as weak presidents who were losing the the Cold War. And the other assumption that the Democrats um, more readily embrace um, as they moved in time further away from um, the uh, the legacy of, of Roosevelt was um, a, a greater kind of comfort with uh, a greater affinity to American capital. Not to suggest that there was very much left about Roosevelt at all, uh, though he, he did appreciate the importance of um, an empowered labour force uh, with trade unions, um, a kind of, uh, though that, that is a kind of a careful management of labour. But Roosevelt himself was a, a really a kind of a, 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 a classic uh, New Deal liberal figure, as has been, was, was kind of laid out by Trilling, one who was there to stabilise American capitalism not to uh, overturn it or to weaken it, but to pull it out of crisis with vigorous state intervention. Um, of course, that state intervention was, uh, during the, the, uh, the New Deal, was minuscule compared to the state intervention of the Second World War. And it's that, that, that level of um, state spending and control over industry that really is what transforms the the U.S. economy. Um, David Cote writes uh, of the uh, the Cold War liberals, both the achievements of the New Deal and the victory over the Axis powers reinforced their sense not merely of American power but also of American rectitude, insisting, as they did, that Truman's foreign policy was altruistic, defensive, and reactive to the Soviet threat. They became so preoccupied with containing Russia and later China that they forgot all about containing America. In a bipolar universe, they desired and demanded an almost limitless extension of American power and influence around the globe because, as the ADA explained in its founding statement of principle, the interests of the United States are the interests of free men everywhere. And by 1951, the ADA was supporting limitless assistance to Chiang Kai-shek, uh, hardly a figure of kind of liberal rectitude. Um, so here we here is the, the place where powerful Cold War myths are um, are, are created or, or, or emerge from the idea that the New Deal, the defeat of Nazism. Um, would naturally present America, and, and this is a kind of like a liberal version of American exceptionalism, the idea that uh, America is this 
force for good uh, in the world. This um, uh, player of um, historic importance um, that faces down Soviet communism uh, and is the uh, defender of freedom everywhere. Much as is kind of articulated in, in the Truman Doctrine uh, and for those that have listened to this podcast before, I've talked a lot about the the kind of the domestic motivations of of the Truman Doctrine um, and the um, crises created for Truman by the retreat, particularly of, of Great Britain uh, as a uh, a world power uh, and the an anti communist police force um, in places like like, like Greece. Um, so the, 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 the Truman Doctrine was a, a kind of a, a, a moment of expediency for uh, the, the Truman administration and, and not a kind of a, a deeply held creed. Um, but there are aspects of the Truman Doctrine that we can, we can certainly see in this, this new um, ideological position about uh, America's role in the world. And it was the sort of thing that was um, being... Uh, put in uh, being sort of propagated in um, the uh, publications such as the Nation and the New Republic, um, and um, in Ivy League uh, schools and universities on the on the east coast of America, um, where you you find this this kind of trifecta of liberal uh, journalists, politicians, and intellectuals working together to reinforce a, a, a core message of um, America's uh, role in the Cold War, but it also kind of the, the more robust and militant uh, face of liberalism. Um, some 20 years later, in the 1970s, some, uh, Arthur Schlesinger Jr., describing himself as an unrepentant anti-communist, distinguished or attempted to uh, between the obsessive and destructive anti-communist fixations of the Vietnam War era and the more rational anti-communism graduated in mode and substance according to the character of the threat uh, which prevailed under Truman. So uh, a view that, the, that um, uh, liberalism had of itself throughout the Cold War was that there was a kind of a, a, a good anti-communism, a good... Democrat anti-communism that prevailed, or at least a kind of a liberal anti-communism that prevailed under Harry Truman, where um, anti-communism was based on kind of more on a pragmatism uh, and a realistic understanding of the threat. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Whereas the, uh, the later uh, anti-communist um, uh, wars in Southeast Asia, particularly Vietnam, um, which was predominantly a Democrat conflict um, and was inherited later by Nixon, that this becomes part of, I suppose, what one could call a creed war. Um, the the, the all, all objectivity in Vietnam has been thrown out of the window, and instead we have this kind of uh, fight to the finish, this, this um, belief that, um, as Kennedy said, Vietnam is the place, you know, the place where we draw the line, where we fight, we fight the battle, um, and, and we have to win. There is another view of the motivations of uh, liberals within the Democrat Party and external to it uh, as to why they were so keen to become converts to the anti-communist cause. Uh, and, and that really is the uh, successes, the political successes that the right of the Republican Party were having, uh, both before, uh, during, and even after um, the uh, rise and fall of Senator Joseph McCarthy of Wisconsin. And the power, the political power that was, a, was, was accrued by a Republican Party that was really, for most of the 1940s, on the back foot, by 1946, had suddenly harnessed and weaponized anti-communism uh, in, in a way that it was enormously successful, that appealed to kind of working and lower-middle-class America uh, and to a, a kind of a, a, a sentiment or, or, or almost of kind of lynch mob justice that could be weaponized against the uh, Democrat establishment, against East Coast intellectuals, um, against minorities if necessary, against everybody that the Republican Party saw itself in conflict with. And there was an, there is an element of, of kind of, if you can't beat them, join them. Or at least see what votes you can hoover up by doing a sort of a slightly more genteel version or a slightly more, if you will, liberal version of anti-communism. One that is, doesn't have the vulgarity, the crudity and the implied violence uh, of um, McCarthy, but is um, outward-looking, patriotic, and 
attempting to uh, propagate the the kind of the, the finer values, the perceived um, greater values of the United States of America, of um, freedom and, and, and liberty, the sort of the things that America was founded on, the things of the American Revolution. Um, Robert L. Heilbronner said, It is, I think, the fear of losing our place in the sun, of finding ourselves at bay, that motivated a great deal of anti-communism, on which so much of our foreign policy seems to be founded. Um, David Coate writes, Here was the impulse that prompted so many liberals to endorse military intervention in Greece on behalf of an undemocratic rightist regime, and prompted the new leader to betray Cheng as the very embodiment of freedom. Here was the impulse that drew an impressive phalanx of perfectly honest writers and professors, including Daniel Bell and Sidney Hook, into the arms of the CIA by way of the American Committee for Cultural Freedom. Both Daniel Bell and Sidney Hook are really the kind of the progenitors of um, neoconservatism. Um, there's an interesting number of um, the, the kind of the founding thinkers of neoconservatism who were essentially Democrats in the 1960s, but looked at um, the Cold War, looked at the um, the monstrous nature of, of Stalinism and kind of post-Stalinist uh, Soviet Union, looked at Vietnam and saw and believed that uh, the stakes were so high for um, democracy and for liberalism, and then looked at what kind of progressive ideas in their view had generated in America during the nineteen sixties and the, the kind of the, the sort of the, the, the counterculture which they just were found disgusting and an embarrassment. And at that point that's where sort of liberal ideas tend to get swept away. Uh, and a more ro- robust idea of what America should be, not um, a country that seemingly gives in to communism but actively wages war against it. Now, it's important to recognise that the Cold War liberals who were um, supportive of things like the Vietnam War, who believed that America had a, uh, a mission in order to protect freedom around the world, these were not the primary supporters. In fact, they weren't supporters at all of McCarthyism. Their overseas um, uh, anti-communism um, was not reflected in kind of domestic anti-communism. And much of that they found kind of uh, obscene uh, and uh, deeply undemocratic and unconstitutional. And of course it is, because the, it threatens the, uh, the very founding ideas that the um, uh, that, that that liberalism is is based on the idea of um, a, a a state that does not intrude in the lives of of its citizens, um, and so they they are kind of on the horns of a dilemma during the McCarthyite era. David Coate writes, although the Cold War liberals were by no means in the vanguard of their forces pressing for the domestic purge. Without doubt, their obsessive anti-Sovietism blinded them. We cannot take chances with the ringleaders of a conspiracy that, if successful, would pervert and destroy our institutions, commented the editor um, uh, of the reporter, 
Maxascoli, when the Supreme Court upheld the conviction of the Communist Party leaders under the Smith Act. For context, the Smith Act that was passed in 1940 uh, made it illegal for anyone to advocate the overthrow of the United States government, which is pretty much what happens on a daily basis at Communist Party meetings. Sidney Hook, who we mentioned previously, who had uh, been passionate in the defence of liberty um, and uh, believed that this was the, the kind of the, the, the founding principle of the, uh, the Cold War, um, was nonetheless not entirely convinced that communists shouldn't have their, their liberties uh, curtailed. Um, the uh, version of liberty that, that he uh, conceived of was one where um, it, was, it becomes illiberal to allow somebody to have the freedom to threaten the liberties of others. He said, So long as the radio and television industries operate under commercial sponsorship, it is both unrealistic and unfair to compel sponsors whose income position is being undermined by a popular boycott of communist or fascist performers on their programmes to continue their sponsorship. Hook, unlike some of his contemporaries who, um, on the uh, democratic uh, liberal fringe um, who were shocked by Huac and the um, uh, McCarthyite purges, decided in 1957 that, on reflection, the con- Congressional Committees and the uh, House um, Un-American Activities Committee had done more good than harm by educating the public in the dangers presented by the Soviet Fifth Column that is, of course, assuming that the Soviet Fifth Column existed, and it did not. David Coate writes, Criticisms of the state of American liberties in the McCarthy era by West European writers were vigorously and hotly rejected. According to Diana Trilling, Lionel's wife, writing in August 1952, the idea that America is a terror-stricken country in the grip of, hyster- uh, of hysteria is a communist-inspired idea. Hook himself claimed that the nightmarish picture often painted in the European press of McCarthy stalking up and down the country, intimidating writers, educators, newspapermen and other professional groups suggests the vision of delirium rather than the results of sober reporting. Meanwhile, Rebecca West assured her British readers in 1953 that the investigating committees have dealt but little with college professors and that the only terror prevailing in American academic life was among professors who dared not leave the CP, the Communist Party, for um, brutal reprisals. Two years later, in February 1955, the executive director of the American Committee for Cultural Freedom, Sol Stein, applauded the McCarran Committee's harrowing pursuit of Professor Owen Lattimore and the Institute of Pacific Relations, as a valuable service in furnishing the public with evaluated information concerning the work of apologists and agents of the Soviet Union who have not or cannot be proven to have broken existing laws. So there you have it. The um, the Democrat Party 
and its fellow travellers. Um, the uh, American liberal commentariat by the late 1950s, long after the decline and fall of McCarthy, had become complacent, yeah, complicit, certainly, comfortable even, with many McCarthyite positions, for fear of their own extinction, for fear that they would be swept away in a populist anti-communist wave, you know, uh, can't beat them, so join them way, uh, and also because their um, their views were quite compatible with uh, the the politics of the Cold War. They were of a slightly different flavour, but ultimately the idea of waging um, hot wars in the Third World uh, against communism and of curtailing civil liberties when that is important to do, when it's important to do so, um, became the key other face of um, American political discourse during the Cold War, a managerial one that was uh, entirely happy to find uh, common ground with the, um, the, the Cold Warriors of the right and institutions such as the, the CIA and the Rand Corporation and um, other American Cold War institutions. Anyway, I hope you find this useful. Um, do find us on Patreon. Um, our backers on Patreon at the moment get a, an additional couple of uh, essays by myself uh, every month. Um, and there's uh, some really interesting stuff I'm posting in the Explaining History uh, podcast Facebook group. So check us out there. Um, you can find links to everything on my website, explaininghistory.org. And I'll catch you next time. Thanks very much, everybody. All the best. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>